0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With The Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Ranz, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Michaela, and this is a continuation of a series I'm doing where I'm taking every chapter in this amazing book, Women Who Run With The Wolves, And I'm attempting to summarize it for you here and give some insights into my life and what this chapter meant for me. So today I'm going to be talking about chapter eight. The name of chapter eight is self-preservation, identifying leg traps, cages, and poison bait. And this chapter has a ton of gold in it, especially if you're someone who's struggled with Um, like hitting rock bottom in life, or completely losing your way and feeling lost. I know I have felt that way, and if you're feeling that way now, I definitely recommend picking up a copy of this book. Um, I'll put a link down in the description if you want to get a copy, but feel free to just turn to chapter 8 if this is something you're struggling with right now. She also talks a lot in this chapter about addiction and how um, when we lose our way, we can often turn to addiction of any sort. Uh, and use that to try to fill that longing that we have to get back to our soul calling and to our path. Um, so I really, I really stress the importance of this chapter. If that's something that you've struggled with, uh, it's really it's a really deep chapter, and it brought up a lot for me. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, the way that she likes to make the analogy between wild wolves and the wild woman archetype is is really important in this chapter she starts the whole chapter talking about the feral woman and the whole idea behind the word feral really struck me and the way she described it too as feral being someone who has once been wild and then domesticated and then is now released back into the wild so i always think of like feral cats or feral animals Um, that were domesticated and have sort of reverted back to their natural instincts. But a lot of times those instincts are sort of harmed or injured in some way. Here's a quote from that section. The feral woman as one who was once in a natural state, that is, in her rightful wild mind, and then later captured by whatever turn of events, thereby becoming overly domesticated and deadened in proper instincts. When she has an opportunity to return to her original, wildish nature, she too easily steps into all manner of traps and poisons. Because her cycles and protective systems have been tampered with, she is at risk in what used to be her natural wild state. No longer wary and alert, she becomes prey. In this chapter, she uses a story called The Red Shoes to illustrate the point of self-preservation. The red shoes story starts off with a young girl who is motherless and lives on the street. She scraps together some pieces of fabric to make herself a crude pair of red shoes. And she loves her red shoes. She loves that she made them herself. And even though they're not super nice, she still really loves them. And then one day, uh, a carriage comes by with a wealthy woman inside who takes pity on this motherless girl with scrappy shoes and takes her in and ends up throwing out all of her possessions including her scrappy red shoes that she made herself. Then this old woman proceeds to try and uh, teach this young girl to behave and to sit still and to not speak up. Uh, She takes her to church and she gets kind of acculturated in a way. She's giving this girl a lot of nice things and a, and a roof over her head, but she's also taking a lot from her. Um, one day she goes to buy the girl a new pair of shoes and because she has kind of poor eyesight, the girl sees a pair of shoes that she really likes and they're bright red and they remind her of her handmade red shoes. So she sees these shoes and the shoemaker gives her a little wink and she picks out the red shoes and the old woman doesn't really notice. So the next day she goes to church, she's wearing her red shoes, she feels so dazzling in her beautiful red shoes and the old woman who took her in doesn't really notice until people at the church start saying things and end up telling her. So then when they get home the old woman forbids her from wearing the shoes again but she continues to choose to wear the shoes despite being told not to. Um, She sort of sneaks the shoes and even when the old woman tries to hide them from her she takes them again. Later in the story she runs into a few other interesting characters and eventually the shoes start to dance. And at first it's really fun that the shoes are dancing and she's having a really fun time dancing in the shoes. But she ends up realizing that she's in big trouble when the shoes don't stop dancing. Even when she tells the shoes to stop dancing, she can't stop dancing. So she goes on dancing through the church out the church, down the street, and they have this whole scene of her dancing until basically she can't stop dancing and she's exhausted and she dances through the night. She danced into a churchyard and there a spirit of dread would not allow her to enter. The spirit pronounced these words over her. You shall dance in your red shoes until you become like a wraith, like a ghost, till your skin hangs from your bones, till there's nothing left of you but entrails dancing. You shall dance door to door through all the villages and you shall strike each door three times. When people peer out, they will see you and fear your fate for themselves. Dance, Red Shoes, you shall dance. So the metaphors are pretty clear here, but she eventually can't handle all of the dancing that the shoes want to do and it's not fun anymore and it's killing her. So she she ends up finding the executioner and having him cut off. Her feet and she lives the rest of her life as a cripple. So, this goes to show that sometimes stories don't have happy endings, and this is one of those ones where the ending is so gruesome and grave that it really is calling your soul to wake up to wake up out of some kind of dream or slumber you might be in where you don't realize the danger that is near. And this kind of story is meant to shake us out of that of that addiction, of that comfort zone, of that whatever that's keeping us um, in this stuck space that maybe looks a lot like the dancing shoes. Psychologically, the brutal episode communicates an imperative psychic truth. The truth is so urgent and yet so easy to disregard by saying, oh, I do understand, and then to go traipsing off to one's doom anyway that we are unlikely to heed the alarm if it is stated in lesser terms. So what she's speaking to here is just how important it is for that kind of gruesome grave ending to really wake the soul up. She also makes sure to point out that even if it feels like your life has come to a gruesome ending, that also could just be uh, a phase that you're going through and that in fairy tales, they're only just short little Bits of someone's life and just seeing that even though she ended up with her feet cut off and she's a cripple on the street, those metaphors can be healed as well. So you can grow your feet back in psychically and find your footing again and create your handmade scrappy red shoes again. All all can be well um, if you learn to, to take this rock bottom and really learn from it and grow from it. There's so many good quotes in this chapter. So I'm going to read another one though fairy tales. And after 10 pages, our lives do not, we are multi-volume sets in our lives. Even though one episode amounts to a crash and burn, there's always another episode awaiting us. And then another, there are always more opportunities to get it right, to fashion our lives in the ways we deserve to have them. Don't waste your time hating a failure. Failure is a greater teacher than success. Listen, learn, go on. That is what we are doing with this tale. We are listening to its ancient message. We are learning about deteriorative patterns so that we can go on with the strength of one who can sense the traps and cages and baits before we are upon them or caught in them. So again, I think she really brings that point home that having a failure in life or um, falling off your path, or making a mistake, or having some kind of grave ending—um, not all hope is lost, and the wild soul <laughs> lives on. So now I'm going to talk about some of the symbols and archetypes that are found in this story and what they might represent to your psyche. So the first, really obvious symbol is the handmade red shoes—the ones that she puts together with scraps of fabric—and those represent kind of the beginning of a handmade life, of a a life that's, that's perfect just for you. Um, the way I see it is like that beginning spark of creativity, of having pride in your creations, even if they're not perfect quite yet, it's kind of like version one of what's going to become a beautiful thing. In talking about the handmade red shoes, she says, if well enough could only be left alone, this situation would progress nicely for the creative self. In the tale, the child is delighted by her handiwork, the fact that she could manage it, the fact that she had the patience to search and gather, to design, to piece and fit, to make her ideas manifest. No matter that at first the product is crude, many of the creations, gods through all cultures and through all time do not create perfectly the first time. The first try can always stand improvement, and the second and often the third and fourth as well. That has nothing to do with one's goodness and skill. It is just life evocative and evolving. The symbol of the shoes is even another important part of this story. Shoes being kind of the things you stand on and the things that protect you. She even brings up that, you know, taking someone's shoes in somewhere in a cold climate especially is pretty much killing that person because the shoes are protecting that person from the cold, from whatever else the elements will bring. So shoes are really symbolic for a foundation and a protection. So having your shoes taken, especially the ones that you make yourself, is like having the part of your life that you created to protect you, the part of your life that you kind of rely on, that's your foundation, having that taken away from you. She also makes a point to talk a lot about the joy that this girl in the story feels about her handmade shoes and how that joy could represent many things in life. Joy is the kind of feeling a woman has when she lays the words down on the paper, just so or hits the notes, right on the head, the first time. Unbelievable. It is the kind of feeling a woman has when she finds she is pregnant and wants to be. It is the kind of joy a woman feels when she looks at people she loves, enjoying themselves. It is the kind of joy a woman feels when she has done something that she feels dogged about, that, feels, that she feels intense about, something that took risk, something that made her stretch, best herself, and succeed. Maybe gracefully, maybe not. But she did it, created the something, the someone, the art, the battle, the moment, her life. This is a woman's natural and instinctive state of being. Mm, So I highlighted that quote because it it definitely conjured up that feeling for me and I can think of many different moments that I've had that feeling. So I think I'll just leave that as kind of an open-ended question for you to think about while you hear the rest of the summary is when are times that you've felt that joy, the joy she's speaking of, just the thing that really lights you up in your life. Next up, she goes through each of the different traps that are described in this story and kind of talks about what those could mean in your life. The first trap being the, the carriage, the carriage that the old woman comes in to pick her up, to save her from her poor life on the street. And that one's a pretty simple one. The carriage is sort of like, the thing that takes you out of your misery or the thing that takes the sting out of life. So I think of like the job, the comfortable job with the comfortable income or the, the marriage that feels safe because you're supported a lot of times this kind of this carriage metaphor or symbol could mean kind of financial security, choosing financial security over kind of the soul, the soul's longings. Um, But it's not always that. Sometimes it can just be like comfort zone decisions, right? Like not like putting away the projects that really light you up because they just don't seem important right now or um, really kind of having your priorities a little bit backwards. The next trap is the old woman herself. So the old woman in this story represents the archetype of this older kind of more rigid person. And it could be a man or woman, or it could just be someone in your psyche. It's just a part of you that wants conformity and that represents sort of the culture at large. She takes a moment to really dive into the impact of culture and community on the wild soul. And not to say that the wild soul can't be part of a culture or community, but just knowing the dangers of collective groupthink and conformity. Regardless of collective affiliation or influences, our challenge in behalf of the wild soul and our creative spirit is to not merge with any collective, but to distinguish ourselves from those who surround us, building bridges back to them as we choose. We decide which bridge will become strong and well-traveled and which will remain sketchy and empty. And the collectives we favor with relationship will be those that offer the most support for our soul and creative life. So just using that discernment to think about which collectives, which communities, which groups do you want to align with and which ones are gonna be the most supportive for your creative life and for your soul path and the path that really lights you up and gives you that joy that we talked about earlier. Um, And noticing when the collective Or group or family. It could be like a job that you're at or yeah, a family member or family members or just different communities that you're in, a religion, anything where it feels like there's a lot of social pressure to give up the things that mean the most to you. That is where kind of the trap could lie and in this case it was the older woman and the church and all of them wanting to her to conform and sit still and not speak up and especially not wear the red shoes these are all kind of symbols for letting your soul path go um, in favor of the collective and what the collective deems appropriate the next trap that she speaks of is the burning of the treasure Um, and Thus, the soul famine. So, when the old woman takes all of her possessions, and especially her handmade red shoes, and she burns them to ashes in the fire, uh, that just represents that the beginning of that longing and that throwing away of the thing for this security, for this collective uh, that we talked about in the last trap, and what that does to a woman's soul. Um, a quote: This quote really spells it out. A woman who is starved for her real soul life may look cleaned up and combed on the outside, but on the inside she is filled with dozens of pleading hands and empty mouths. So that is really speaking to, and she'll talk more about this in later traps as well, it's really speaking to that shadow aspect where we take the parts of us that really have longing and desire for something and we kind of stuff them down and try to not let them come out. And what that creates is sort of like an, a battle between the internal and the outer world. And that's what she means by the hungry mouths. And having those hungry mouths is one thing, but after they've been around for a while, this feeling, this longing, this missing piece of your soul, that's where things of excess can really come in. and. It's sort of like she's an example of like when you're holding your breath and then the first breath that you take, you take like a huge gulp of air because you're just so starved of breath. And that feeling is so visceral when she told that story. It was such a perfect analogy to the feeling of having something of meaning taken from you and then the first glimpse that looks similar enough to it and not being able to control yourself. So that's sort of what happened in the story with her red shoes. She, she found... Um, these red shoes, she kind of had to sneak them and now all of a sudden she can't get enough of them and the shoes kind of take over. The next trap is pretty self-explanatory. It's the injury to basic instinct. Now, that's what we talked about in the beginning a little bit, where it feels like a feral woman is kind of the perfect example of that, of having those wild instincts and kind of knowing um, where you should go and where you shouldn't or what you should follow and what you shouldn't. But then a lot of times when things, when you get too domesticated, you kind of get disconnected from those longings, from your desire, from your intuition, from all of the parts of you that were helping you discern Um, What, where you should go and where you shouldn't kind of thing. And that basic instinct is really important for knowing, for example, that those ruby red shoes weren't probably going to be the best idea. But because she's been so domesticated and she's so starved for meaning, um, the girl in the story goes for the red shoes. And that can mean whatever it means to you. The next trap she talks about is trying to sneak a secret life split into. And we've talked a little bit about that already, but just that idea of being sneaky, of having to be sneaky is just a a clear sign that this divide is happening, this internal, external battle. Um, Because being sneaky not only means that you're being untruthful to something outside of you, but it, it usually indicates that something outside of you is pressuring you to conform and that something inside of you is is longing to break free. So noticing any amount of like sneaky energy that you might have or where, where there's a lot of secretiveness or yeah, trying to hide parts of yourself and don't beat yourself up for that. That's just something to notice and be curious about and just know that being more secretive, And sneaky is the word she uses a lot. And sneaky has its own specific energy, I feel like. And having that sneaky energy in your life is a clear sign that there's something up. So be alert. In this part, she talks a little bit more about that shadow aspect. In the view of analytical psychology, the repression of both negative and positive instincts, urges and feelings into the unconscious causes them to inhabit a shadow realm. While the ego and superego attempt to continue to censor the shadow impulses, the very pressure that repression causes is rather like a bubble in the sidewall of a tire. Eventually, as the tire revolves and heats up, the pressure behind the bubble intensifies, causing it to explode outward, releasing all the inner content. And she goes on, We find that by opening the door to the shadow realm a little and letting out various elements a few at a time, relating to them, finding use for them, negotiating, we can reduce being surprised by shadow sneak attacks and unexpected explosions. So that's a really nice little tip just kind of that she squeezed in there about how to deal with these kind of shadowy aspects. And that's why it's so important to address them with so much self-compassion and curiosity but for example, since we're talking about the trap of being sneaky, just noticing the sneaky energy and really coming to it with love and curiosity and trying to uncover what it is that that, that shadow aspect is showing you. Um, what part of you, what urge, what passion, what desire is this representing for you, and how is that being repressed? And how is what you what you're longing for, what you're going after, what you're sneaking? Um, fulfilling that, that longing? And maybe what are other ways to fulfill that longing? The important thing to note here is that the shadow isn't always negative impulses. It's not like all the shadow is just murder and steal and lie. Those are parts of the shadow that we all have, that we all have as part of us, and we all are capable of those things. But other parts of the shadow that have beautiful parts Our our authenticity and sexuality and voraciousness. And there's a lot that you could be, part of your shadow could be like a vibrant part of your personality that you're suppressing because of some past collective that you were part of that kind of encouraged you to suppress it. So just knowing that within the shadow are also a lot of gifts and beautiful aspects of the psyche. As you can see, this chapter has so much good stuff in it, so I definitely recommend reading it. I'm not going to be able to cover it all. Some of the other traps that she talks about are, um, the next one was cringing before the collective, shadow rebellion. So we've sort of touched on that, but just that having that repressed shadow um, really come out in a big way that can really negatively impact the the relationship you have with your community or with the collective. Um, the next trap is faking it, trying to be good, and normalizing the abnormal. So the trap there is just noticing again when you're, when you're kind of putting on a mask to survive the situation. And again, that's sometimes what you have to do. So it's not about it's not about putting away the mask um, and always being vulnerable because it's not always safe to be. But just noticing these as signs, as sort of red flags that there's something a little off going on and that we're moving towards that kind of grave ending of losing your foundation and like in the story getting her feet chopped. Um, The last trap is is the hardest sometimes to get out of which is the dancing out of control obsession and addiction and then she goes on to really go deep about addiction and um, addiction can be so many things and it's a really complex topic very stigmatized. Um, I personally feel really passionate about this topic just because I feel like yeah, people are really um, stigmatized for having addictions. And the ones that obviously are the most prevalent or people know the most about or have heard the most about are drugs and alcohol and um, sex addiction, gambling addiction. But it could be other things. There could be an addiction to exercise or to codependent relationships or um, so many things. And addiction really... I should look up the definition, but my kind of running definition of it is just a habit that you have that when it's a problem, when it takes away from your life in some way, or when you need it to cope, these are just things to notice. Um, The other really big red flag is when you have a split mind, when there's a part of you that says, I shouldn't do this, but then there's another part of you that's like, no, come on, just do it. And that kind of split mind is sort of what we were talking about earlier with the sneaky life. So just noticing when internally you have these kind of inner battles going on, and that's when you know that addiction could be present. And there's no need to feel shame, and we all go through this. Like, I have definitely had my own addictions, and that's part of why this video took me so long to come out, actually. was just just little addictions that I've been struggling with, like screen and phone and social media addictions... Um, and just other kinds of comfort zone kind of things that don't necessarily serve me. And it's always this gray area of like, how how can you tell the difference, for example, between self-care and addiction? So that's a whole nother topic. But just knowing that, yeah, you don't need to judge yourself if you notice that you have an addiction. And bringing it back to the story, um, the red shoes, the dancing red shoes represent, I think, the addiction in that sense. In that first she sneaks them and it's making her make these choices that are sort of seen as bad by the collective. But then later it's like the shoes kind of take over and it's almost like she has no control. So it's that same idea of having the two voices where the part of you that doesn't want to do it anymore, um, doesn't really have control or a say. And the part of you that says, let's just do it is kind of the red shoes taking over so the red shoes taking over really represents that loss of control of your path and of um, the things that you really want and you know are good for you and the kind of spiraling out of control and and then it comes down to that she just is begging for mercy and begging to have her feet chopped off and that could mean anything it means to you and that definitely would be like a rock bottom of some sort with an addiction And just to make a note that if a lot of this is resonating and you feel like you might be struggling with an addiction, um, I have so much love and compassion for you and I would be happy to hear from you. And I also highly recommend seeking out help. Yeah, we, we can't do this alone. And especially if you're in that situation with the shoes that are out of control and they're just dancing you away, we need each other. We need to hold each other through those times. And that is The work of a professional therapist is, there's so many amazing therapists out there that are really helpful with specifically addiction. I am hoping to one day be one of those. Um, So this is just a topic that I'm really passionate about and I will just say that um, imagining myself in the future as a therapist, I would be more than happy to help someone that's going through that. So please don't feel ashamed. It's very relatable, it's very human to be experiencing this kind of predicament, I guess. And it's really easy to have compassion for people that are going through that because it's so human. Ultimately, she ends the chapter on somewhat of a positive note, um, reminding you that a lot of these traps are just to show you the map and to give you that kind of clear perspective of what to look for um, when you might be slowly falling into these traps um, when you might be slowly growing in this soul hunger, uh, for a handmade life and how to, how to pull yourself out of addiction or of having your feet chopped off. Like even if you're at a complete rock bottom, how to pull yourself out of that and remake your life starting from scratch, uh, going all the way back to the girl that was living in the streets, making her handmade red shoes from the scraps of fabric, So using that symbol in your mind of what does that look like to you? So my journal prompts for you today, and I'll make sure to put them below in the comments as well. Um, My first one came earlier in the chapter when she was speaking of joy and the joy that a woman feels when she makes her handmade life. So I'm really curious for you what That joy is for you, or what are some moments or memories that you have of feeling that joy in your life? For me, uh, the first thing that came to mind because I literally just finished it last week was that I've been working on my very first uh, cookbook, and it's just it's always felt like silly to me that I was like even wanting to make a cookbook, but every time I see like people that I follow that I really like making one, it really inspires me. So anyway, I just I just finished that and released that. That joy of finishing a project has really got me hungry for finishing projects. That's like part of why I'm back here making this video is realizing that sometimes um, I let these projects kind of go for a little while, which is totally fine. And I have a ton of self-compassion for myself for doing that. But it's almost like remembering how good it feels to finish something, even if it's just uh, a first attempt or a first draft like it's my first cookbook that I've ever made so I don't I was trying not to be too perfectionist about it but just knowing that I completed it I feel so proud of myself um, so that is really exciting and there's a few other moments that came to mind just from childhood like in general like the things that I feel really excited about and passionate about like cooking and creating beautiful things and harvesting plants um, and sitting with people and helping people. These are things that really give me that deep joy, Um, especially when I can be the person that can like give someone permission to really listen to their inner voice. That's like, whew, that joy is like, fills me. Okay, my second journal question is a little vague, but I just want you to think back through all of the different traps. And if you have the book, um, she has them written out in the table of contents. Do you notice any of those traps happening in your life or have you noticed those traps happening in the past? And I feel like I'm in the midst of a lot of interesting relationships to these ideas um, because I'm taking the year off from teachings. So I'm really reflecting on a lot of like, what parts of me have stayed in comfort zone kind of work situations and what parts of me have had this like longing, and just noticing the complacency and almost like depression that has come from not making enough changes and taking enough risks in my life. So that's been a really big thing this year is like really jumping off a lot of cliffs. Like I moved out of my community house that I was living in for 10 years and I, I'm i taking time off from working at the school that I've been working at for 13 years. So those feel like Interesting relationship to these concepts of traps where I felt sort of trapped and I couldn't really pinpoint What it was, um, but kind of just making a choice and moving Moving the energy has really helped clarify some things for me The First question is what is the joy? The second would be which of the traps have you fallen into? Um, I think the third question that I wanted to add um, Which is kind of one of the traps, but we can go more specific with it, which is that Whatever you feel comfortable sharing, um, you can either do this journal on your own or if you'd like to, you could share in the comments. Um, But I would love to hear just different ideas and examples of what people identify as as shadow aspects. Um, And again, those can be the darker ones that are seen as bad by society or they can be the ones that have like secretly um, some beautiful power in them. and for me, like a big one that I've struggled with is I just come from a really loud um, family that I feel like something that I've always had to work with in social settings is trying to find people that don't feel overwhelmed by my big energy. And so that's one of those shadow things that for for a part of my life, I really tried to stuff it down and to be, I wanted to be like a more of like a meek kind of quiet like person which I can definitely be that and then there's a lot of medicine in that for me but just knowing that I I can also be a really big um energy and that that can be a beautiful thing too and it doesn't always have to be something that I'm embarrassed of or that I have to suppress <laughs> um so that's been one of the ones that came up when I was reading that part on the shadow aspect so those are my three general prompts I think I'll just leave it at that this is a juicy chapter. So thank you for being along for the ride. And I'm hoping because I'm trying to conjure up this amazing, joyful feeling of finishing projects. I'm hoping that I can get through the rest of this book um, sooner than later. And yeah, I'm really grateful for everyone who's reached out and, and kind of nudged me, like encouraged me to continue because sometimes it does feel like I'm like talking into a void and I don't know if anyone's here listening. Like if you've made it to the end of this video right now and you're still listening to me, like that's amazing and I I don't even know if anyone's doing that. So doesn't matter. I will still continue even if I reach one person and it's inspiring or impactful in any way that is all that matters so i'm on chapter eight and actually there's quite a few chapters left but i'm about halfway done so that's exciting and i'm excited for some of the ones to come the next chapter is the selkie story which i really love that one so i will get to reading that and come back on here as soon as possible thank you for watching and i hope to see you next time Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.